0: We had made the decision. We were it was looking correct.
1: for a place to live.
0: And then we're in Waterbury, Vermont, which is home of Ben & Jerry's. I think Cabot Cheese has a big headquarters here. Green Mountain Coffee. Prohibition Pig is an amazing little... Uh, it's sort of a quintessential Vermont gastropub. Yep. Really good food. Exquisite beer, if you're into craft beers. I was very excited to drive into to Waterbury and take you to Pro Pig. And we drove into town. We just had a nice race and then we get out of the car and we start walk
1: (laughs) First First I have to say, let's describe the setting. It was grayer than gray. There were it was the heart you know, it's the peak of mud season, so it's there's not really a lot of snow, but it's still freezing out. Everyone's pasty pale. There's no leaves on any of the trees. It's just sticks. And I'm just looking around and everyone looks unhappy and miserable. <laughs> or at least that was my observation at the moment. And I suddenly was completely overwhelmed by the fact that we were moving to this miserable place. And we're walking into Pro Pig, and I just have tears streaming down my face. <laughs> ¶¶
0: That's right, Waterworks streaming down her eyes in Waterbury, Vermont. Man, oh man, today's episode is a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. This is a special one. Well, let's be honest, all episodes are special. All of the guests in the show are amazing humans, awesome people, athletes, professionals. But this is a super special episode, episode number 55, it, uh, it took a mere 55 episodes and probably, yeah, maybe averaging two per episode, 110 mentions of my wife before we got her officially on the show. My wife, Laura King, is our guest today. I thought it would be particularly timely to have her on the show. For one, we are receiving more and more requests from you as a result of my continued mentions of how badass she is. Request that she grab the mic and sit down with a little little heart-to-heart shed some light on what makes her tick, what has brought her to Vermont, and so much more. But particularly timely in that Laura's due date for our first child, Lil Baby King, is March 17th. So for reference, we're launching this pod on March 2nd. We recorded it on Leap Year Day, February 29th. And therefore, depending on when you're listening, perhaps we're already endeavoring into parenthood. Who knows? Yikes. Yow. Cool. We are psyched. But as a result of how transparent and how public Laura has been with her pregnancy and being active through her pregnancy, I thought it would be something cool and new and exciting to do a little pre-kiddo and eventually a post-kiddo dive into our lives. Specifically into Laura's life. So I just mentioned some of these topics that we're gonna hit on today, but exploring parenthood is gonna be a big one. Laura has become a beacon for athletes, for moms, or soon to be moms, or women with potential to be moms who are struggling to find the balance of not being totally sure if they want to be moms. That's been eye-opening for me and something for which I'm tremendously proud of Laura. We'll chat about her move to Vermont how it's been going from the big city of San Francisco to remote little wooded hills of Vermont, including that little anecdote that might have involved breaking down into tears on the streets of Waterbury. To our dear friends listening on Apple's podcast app, you may have run into some some trouble, some struggles downloading the app since the start of the new year. I apologize, although... I will say it's been well out of our control. Thanks to some unforeseen circumstances. This has been clear that you get these messages of podcast can't play. Please try again later. We have now switched podcast hosts. We are now on Podbean. Great name, by the way. So huge thanks to my sound editor, John Summerford of Bears Records, for helping me through these trying few weeks. We should be smooth and clear and rocking and rolling. Also, speaking of the new year... Now that we're into March, I'm not sure you've caught up on the cadence of the podcast releases here in 2020. But we are pretty consistently putting out one every two weeks. I managed to log a few in a, during a busy month of January that we are waiting to release. So as much as my schedule is about to go absolutely haywire with a child, I'm confident that we can stick to this iteration. I like the once every two weeks release 26 per year and that sounds that sounds doable or maybe i'm entirely wrong and the next podcast won't come out for another six months who knows what i do know is that laura is awesome and coming up right here right now on this podcast is my wife laura king What do you got there to drink?
1: Some sparkling water. Yeah. What do you got there? Something I'd rather be drinking?
0: Some IPA. Pop, fizz. Uh, Tell me, how was your day today?
1: (sighs) My days are getting longer and longer, but it it was good. I was productive.
0: Well, I have this cool I mean, I suppose it's any app. the weather app will tell you that um, the sun rises at six twenty eight a m and sets at five thirty nine pm so the days are getting longer. That's a very positive thing.
1: I'm excited about that now I'm just hoping they also are getting warmer,
0: yeah, well, they are it's uh what? This is being recorded. This is special because this is the first time that I've interviewed you. Um, and it's a leap day. Leap day itself. It's February 29th. So this is a super special day. Indeed. Um, no, Well, seriously, how was your day? What did you do today? What did you do? Uh, you, you, did you set an alarm? Did you get out of the bed early?
1: My days are usually organized around what the weather is doing. So today with snow and I think it was, what, 15 degrees when we woke up this morning, mm-hmm. uh, I headed to master Swimming as it's a little cold and dicey outside to be riding.
0: Accurate. And was that on the plan? Like I woke up. My days are often also, especially Saturdays, dictated by the weather. I, did, I was planning for a really nice day because the weather showed no precipitation last night, but then we woke up to dumping snow, as is as is the case here in Vermont. Like, you don't like the weather? Wait 15 minutes. Was it your plan to go swimming today?
1: It was my plan. I knew the temperature was going to be a little cold for my my current state.
0: <laughs> Fair. Um, so, we'll get to, to where fi- swimming might fit into your life in a second, but given... Given that the king of the ride audience is presumably a whole lot of white guys. (laughs) Shout out to all the white dudes out there who are listening. It's outstanding that I have, in fact, received a lot of questions and comments and feedback whenever I have female guests on the show who are often professional uh, female cyclists. What's more, you and I have both received questions about when you are going to be on a guest on the podcast. So... So figuring that there's no time like the present, welcome to the show.
1: Well, I am flattered.
0: Um, so let's jump back in the way, way back machine. Um, it is probably no surprise to our listeners that we first met on the bike. Give me your summary of how we first met.
1: Well, before I'd have to even rewind back a couple of weeks before we met because I actually saw you pop up on Bumble.
0: Oh, dating apps. The
1: dating app that I actually never contacted or met up with uh, a soul via the app. But I did peruse a bit and your photo turned up. Uh, I was aware of who you were and knew through mutual friends that you were moving to town. So... My interest was actually peaked a couple weeks in advance before we met. Well,
0: that's adorable. Um, dating apps are, are are a modern marvel of dating. Um, you and I went to a comedy show, and we were talking last night about how people would originally meet. It was a great, it was a great show. That's a derivation that we don't need to go down. But I mean, <laughs> man, how how people met pre pre dating apps is just a fascinating thing. But. Actually, to that exact point, you and I met independent of dating apps. You saw me on the dating app, but then we met in real life.
1: Correct. Uh, I happened to screenshot you on the dating app and send it to our mutual friend, Nate.
0: Shout out, Nate.
1: Uh, And he reminded me that I would be meeting you, it was like a week and a half later, uh, at a mutual friend's birthday weekend. Mm -hmm. A good friend, Lentine. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, he said, well, I don't need to introduce you because you're going to meet him. So maybe in a week and a half, you can see if you see what you think.
0: If only we were foresightful enough to know that going to Lentine, our mutual friend's birthday party, she would go on to bake the, the maple wedding cake that you and I would share uh, a handful of years later. So there we are in California. I've just recently moved to California, hence popping up on your app. I retired from bike racing in the end of 2015, moved to California, jumped straight into the coast ride. And then the following weekend was this mutual friend, Lentine's birthday. So continue on. There we are.
1: (laughs) Well, we met uh, locked out of the Airbnb, I believe that we were staying in that weekend, waiting for someone to arrive with the code or the key. Mm-hmm. and you were cracking jokes and you had brought beer along. Some <laughs> things remain the same. <laughs> I thought you were pretty funny um, and witty, but I I was not about to make that too obvious. You know, Fair. so I played it cool.
0: Yeah, you are a cards close to your chest kind of <laughs>
1: Um, Conveniently, or coincidentally, I should say, was it? It was the next day that we, the next day we rode bikes, um, a huge group of us and I want to, uh, I can't remember. I was not part what of that sequence. ride.
0: So that very next day was basically the whole point of the birthday weekend is a whole lot of friends, 25, 30 people, bike rides, great food because Lentine is a chef, um, beer, wine, just bikes, food, beer, wine, everything that's great about friendships and bikes. And being that this is the first free weekend that I'm actually in town, having just moved to California, I had also been invited to the Nica uh, ride. There was a year end banquet ride. And so I was down in Southern Marin while you were up galvanting with a bunch of friends. However, that's what you were I think alluding to, we went for a uh, we ended up at a banquet that evening.
1: That's right. Okay, I couldn't remember the sequence of how things played out, but that evening we had to drive from Sonoma County all the way back to Berkeley, so like an hour and 15-minute drive mm-hmm. to go to this banquet. And coincidentally, we were both headed there. I was there on behalf of my company at the time, Goo, and you were a honorary guest, I guess. <laughs> However, you were an honorary guest with no seat at the party (laughs) as uh the banquet tables every every seat at the table was a paid seat and you arrived and came to the goo table and asked if you could sit down and um at the same time we had had one of our employees not be able to make it and so you just went ahead and took a seat next to me and it felt a little awkward at the time since um I had actually told on you about a year prior <laughs> to our marketing director as we were sponsoring your team. Uh-huh. Uh, Goo was sponsoring Cannondale at the time.
0: 2015, sponsored by Goo on, at that point, Cannondale Garmin.
1: Yeah, and then I I see this Sports Illustrated article where Ted King is touting his untapped maple product, and I brought it into our our marketing director's office and said, "Who?" What who's this Ted King character and what does he think he's doing? He's <laughs> promoting his own product instead of ours. Um, so it felt a little awkward when you sat down next to me, but at the same time, I was eager to get to know you a little bit better.
0: I always treaded that. So I, we started Untapped in 2014 and I raced through the end of 2015 and I treaded that line lightly. Um, where I always knew that the teams that I was on did not have a maple syrup sponsor, so I didn't think that I was I was doing anything that was going to be too uh, argumentative amongst sponsors. But yes, there you are, tattletaling on me a year and change before you know <laughs> before we'd ever meet. Um so yeah fast forward go to the banquet uh largely don't have a table but i'm there for the open bar and then get back to the airbnb and that was sweet we hung out and played games and then the next day january 31st happened to be my birthday so that was the first maple cake that lentine baked
1: we all woke up really early didn't we to watch cross nationals
0: uh cross worlds. worlds boom so Yep. and then we go out on a bike ride. It's a fun day. Um, Bike ride, birthday cake, cross worlds. not in that order. And the way I remember it, we're going to fast forward through this so as to actually get to the the down and dirty questions. We're early in the ride. It's a Sunday. It's a beautiful day. We're supposedly this group of 25, 30, 30 people out for a ride. We're trying to do this King's Ridge, which is an iconic ride in Northern California and uh, early on the ride, probably 10 miles in, not even, all of a sudden the the group comes to a screeching halt and everybody's like, oh man, I got to go home. I got training to do. My coach tells me I should be doing this. I need to go back to work. I got all these things. And all of a sudden it's just like, yo, that's a total uh, buzzkill. Like I thought we were out here for this fun ride. And meanwhile, as there's these 25 people hanging out on the street corner trying to decide what to do, I see a lovely brunette and a lovely blonde Laura and her friend Pia zoom off to the left. I'm like hang out with 25 dudes or go follow these two speedy looking gals on bikes. I'm going to go left. And there you and I go for a bike ride and we, we conveniently drop Pia and we ended up talking and hanging out ever since. How's that for a summary?
1: It was a pretty good summary. Wicked. I wrote so, as hard as I possibly could and tried to pretend that i wasn't riding hard at all and ask you really long-winded open-ended questions so
0: well yeah going up king's ridge is what like a i mean how how foresightful is that that we rode up king's ridge i mean that's crazy anyway um so yes no surprise we met on a bike we just summarized it that's pretty good so Let's ask the question how well first I'm going to say how did you end up in San Francisco but prior to that, give me give me your upbringing siblings what are the things that that motivated you? Were you a musician? Were you an athlete? Were you a, a stay-at-home nerd
1: <laughs> um, I am the oldest of four girls. Uh, grew up in Seattle, Washington, uh, very lively household. Um, All four of us sisters were pretty similar in a lot of ways. We all swam competitively. We all were lifeguards. We all majored in English slash journalism. So we had a lot in common. It was a lot of fun, but sometimes a little crazy. I had always been athletic. Um, That said, I didn't play many ball sports. And um, in fifth grade, I picked up the flute and actually before athletics really took a more significant role in my life that was a pursuit that was i that i was equally serious about and that i thought at some point would likely become my career or hopefully would become my career
0: professional flautist
1: that's right laura
0: not yet king
1: played in youth symphonies and chamber symphonies and um basically pursued music with the same kind of perseverance and tenacity that I <laughs> pursue most of my p- things I'm passionate about.
0: Uh-huh. Right. So there you are ripping up the flute, getting into <laughs> to some, some athletic prowess. Um, how do you find the bicycle?
1: I found the bicycle through triathlon. Everyone's cringing. Um, but, uh, you know, swimming, my, uh, so long story short, I planned to swim in college. Um, I went to the university of Washington. They, which is a division one swim team or was at the time. And basically they over-recruited, they, they didn't have enough capacity for everyone. I was a walk-on. And so, um, the, the year is already, my freshman year has already started and, they spring the news on us that they have to even cut a couple people that they gave scholarships to. So I was originally devastated thinking that my identity was an athlete coming to college and without that I was unsure of what my new identity would be. Um, But that is actually how I fell into triathlon. So having a swim background and having um, just spent the prior four years I mean, training up to four hours a day. We had morning and afternoon workouts most of the time. I just craved um, long hours of endurance exercise. So naturally, uh, triathlon was something that piqued my interest. And so I joined the triathlon club in college and um, actually went on to spend around 12 years of dabbling and racing in endurance triathlons, uh, of all dis- of all distances, sprint, Olympic, half Ironman, and Ironman,
0: including the big dog. I mean, you're not just dabbling as a as a tag along. Like you go all the
1: way to Kona. I I got <laughs> I got pretty sucked in. I got pretty serious. Um, it's crazy the amount of hours that Ironman triathlon requires to compete at a high level. So. Yeah, at the at the peak of my training, I was upwards of like thirty hours a week, and and slowly actually getting pretty burned out, and you know, constantly battling injury. Um, what a and it,
0: rare story
1: among triathletes. <laughs> I know. Which and it, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it was around that time that I moved to California. I had a I was working for Power Bar at the time, and. I competed in a couple of Xterra triathlons, so I bought a mountain bike. I got synced up with some of I like to say the the local groms. These you know all these young kids that uh, rode BMX bikes as kids and had amazing skills on the bike and rode Mount Tam um, in the evenings. Actually, we always rode after dark because we often would ride trails that weren't necessarily uh, open to bikes Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of my um, I guess my eyes were open to different sides of endurance sports and you know to go from the scene of type A triathlon where everyone is it's pretty rigid sport it's a lot of the fun had started to dissipate from it and here I was going out mountain biking at night the light and um, working hard, but also enjoying myself so much more than I ever had. And it brought a lot of the joy of sport back for me. And I just realized I was a lot more drawn to, I guess I was just, I was drawn to mountain biking at the time. So that's kind of what ignited more of a pursuit of riding in general and um, kind of my triathlon days tapered off.
0: And in the Venn diagram of people who are triathletes, which at one point I would, I would label you that, and people who have exemplary bike handling skills, that overlap is very small. So you picked up mountain biking in a very big way. And that's one thing that, I, I mean, we share, we really enjoy going mountain biking together. And you've got ripping skills, and, and your skills are far superior than, than the majority of folks out there. Including, I mean, you like like... People might be picking up on you. Don't just dabble in things. You go full bore. So I mean, you you win some local stuff. You go out and go to. Uh, I mean, you're no chump. What? What'd you do at uh, Leadville?
1: At uh, eight thirty-six, I got seventh.
0: Seventh place among a stacked field while still working. So, <laughs> give me your <laughs> explain your professional background.
1: So around the time that I moved to California, I also got invited to uh, USA Cycling's Talent ID Camp, which is, I guess, a way that... um, Talent Identification Camp. It's a way that in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center that they try to identify up-and-coming talent or also, if you have already been identified, kind of help provide a path um, if you wish to pursue cycling at a higher level. Um, I was invited despite the fact that, uh, through some, some people that knew of my, my skills on the bike, but I did not have any road racing, um, experience at that time. So it, everything was pretty new to me. One thing I really took away from that time at the camp though, was that, you know, we had a bunch of, um, former pros talk to us, a panel of of ex-professional women and basically the message they gave to us was this is a really hard sport and they laid out all of their um you know all of the highs and lows that they had experienced more way more lows than highs and that along with the sport you would probably income wise take in around the salary of a Seven Eleven employee and if you were <laughs> really successful that you could maybe make the manager level salary of a 7-Eleven employee and their point was that you have to be driven by the pure love of wanting to pursue a higher level of, of road cycling and road racing and um, for me at the time I had just i had, i had left this camp and gotten an awesome job offer and I was thriving in other aspects of my life and I wasn't drawn to um, the kind of lonely lifestyle that road racing can sometimes bring with it um, it's I, I really admire and respect people that um, that do end up taking that path because it's, it's hard and it can be lonely and um, very challenging so for me I had kind of made a decision at that point I had qualified for my professional card in triathlon and declined it as I was kind of becoming burned out and then also had this opportunity within road cycling and and continued to make decisions that led me towards more of a path of being focused on my career at the time and being able to enjoy competing in sport for the love of the sport and competing at a high enough level that I got a lot of satisfaction out of it, but I wasn't necessarily seeking to go the professional route.
0: Admirable. And nowhere in those previous five minutes were you dissing on the Seven Eleven employees. <laughs> um, Not at all. Um, I mean, I think that makes it all the more impressive that that there's something a little bit ambiguous and arbitrary. Fast forwarding to oh, the past three months, there uh, about this the Gravel Rankings, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, I ended up as number one in the 2019 Gravel Rankings, which is a very flattering place to be. But it is a as much as they try to make it. An analytical thing. It's it's I think there's a subjective component too. So I'm flattered. Thank you very much for that. The this is not meant to throw praise at me. What I'm thinking is among the top ten women, all of whom are very fast on the bike, were you not pregnant, which you are now, I think you would stand a very good chance to be in the top ten.
1: Well, thank you. (laughs) Agree or disagree? Uh last year that that could have been the case I'd like to think that I had the capability of being there Um, that said with the explosion of gravel and um, the competition that is soon to be happening in the coming years um, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see the prowess of the women's field continue to rise Mm -hmm. so uh, we'll have to see if that remains the case or not. but
0: Well, yeah. You and I have never discussed that. I mean, I, I look at the folks who are in the top 10, again, all of whom are very fast, and you do incredibly well stacking up against them and and certainly being in the, in the mix and, and above the mix and, you know, based on your results at BWR and a whole other slew of races. So in order to move this conversation along, we are now in Vermont, as we discussed earlier in the day. Tell me about the move to Vermont. What were your initial thoughts on moving to Vermont? When did the idea first get planted in your mind about moving to Vermont?
1: Well, prior to the idea even getting planted, I think you began the campaign quite early on as you had just moved to California. We're just getting to know one another. And the most frequent topic of conversation for you is how amazing New England is. And I just always had to laugh because you compared everything to New England. Everything in New England was somehow just a little bit better. The people were nicer. The, I don't know, the beer was better. Um, Everything just seemed superior in New England.
0: It's more peaceful. It's more tranquil. Uh, The chowder is better. The beer is better. Um, The humidity is better. The seasons are better. San Francisco is great. I freaking love it. It's got two and a half seasons. Whereas New England, I mean, like we talked about this morning, like born and raised here, I like four seasons. So, okay, yeah, there's a handful of superiorities.
1: But I was still trying to kind of figure this out, right? You had just moved to California. You had chosen it as your, uh, from Europe, the next place that you were going to live. I um, had been there around six years at that point and could pretty much say I was, I really, really liked California.
0: (laughs) semi-lifer? So we become engaged, we get married, we we make we, the decision to move to Vermont. Well, we
1: constantly as a topic True. of conversation talk yep. about where are we going to live. I think we we both knew that without um having family in California and looking to choose a place where we wanted to kind of settle, put down roots, um decide to be somewhere more long-term, we knew it likely, California was likely, um, didn't make the most sense. Um,
0: Cost of living. Yeah. Distance. Yep.
1: A whole host of different reasons. But, um, so then we just began to talk about the places that we potentially would live, Colorado being one of them. And then, of course, New England was always a topic of conversation with having um, your family here and you being apart from your family for over a decade of racing and um, untapped being grow- uh, at a point where it was the, you know on a trajectory of growth that would make sense for you to come back and be more integrated within the company. So there were a lot of great reasons on paper that began to stack up that kind of helped push us towards New England seeming like a very practical decision for us, not necessarily a decision I was drawn to in the very beginning, but it it did seem like it, it, there were a lot of check marks against why we should or for why why we should move there.
0: And I am nothing if not practical. <laughs> um, I think one memorable story is racing Belgian waffle ride. On on a weekend, and uh, I think at that point it might have been April. Yep, beautiful weekend in San Diego, and the way we had planned it is going from San Francisco, where we're living, Marin, down to San Diego, and then directly out east to Rasputitsa to do the East Coast Spring Classic, Rasputitsa. And I think we got through the race, or was this prior? Oh yeah, we get through the race, and at that point we had we had we had humored the conversation about potentially moving here and uh, we, we went, had
1: made the decision we
0: had point. made the decision we that were was looking correct. for a
1: place to live
0: and then we're in Waterbury, Vermont which is home of Ben and Jerry's uh, I think Cabot Cheese has a big headquarters here um, Green Mountain Coffee Prohibition Pig is an amazing little uh, it's sort of a quintessential Vermont gastro pub. Yeah, really good food Exquisite beer, if you're into craft beers, and and we were very, I was very excited to drive into to Waterbury and take you to Pro Pig, and we drove into town, we just had a nice race, and then we get out of the car and well, we start walk.
1: <laughs> first, first, I have to say, let's describe the setting. It oh, okay. was grayer okay. than gray. There Accurate. were. It was the heart, you know, it's the peak of mud season. So it's, there's not really a lot of snow, but it's still freezing out. Everyone's pasty pale. There's no leaves on any of the trees. It's just sticks. And I'm just looking around and everyone looks unhappy and miserable. (laughs) Or at least that was my observation at the moment. And I suddenly was completely overwhelmed by the fact that we were moving to this miserable place and... We're walking into Pro Pig and I just have tears streaming down my face.
0: Bingo. Yeah. We we are walking into this bar that is one of my absolute favorite places on earth. As I'm very excited that we have made the decision to move to the state. And then there you are, all of a sudden, walking down the sidewalk, breaking down in tears. Oh, how far we've come. I think my reaction was something along the lines of, well, Son of a nutcracker. I guess we're not going to move here. (laughs) Cross it off the list. Um, I mean, honestly, I think it was a tiny bit of a letdown. I wanted nothing more than for you to be stoked and excited to move here. Um, It was... I think it was a a particularly funny contrast coming directly from San Diego and certainly by April in California, northern and southern California. It's beautiful and it's lively and it's green. And in the best circumstances... New England is starting to get green by April, but that was a particularly harsh <laughs> winter spring. And so, yeah, it was every shade of gray and brown that you could ever imagine. But blah, 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 fast forward a couple months, years, and we move here and everything's perfect, right?
1: <laughs> is that, is that approximately like that. how it went?
0: Um, oh, it was...
1: Uh, New England... It was a hurdle. Well, but, it, it grew on me bit by bit as I think, you know, any transition... A transition. I mean, every time we tell someone where we lived in California prior to Vermont, they have some sort of surprised exclamation of, "Wow, that's a drastic change!" And I think that's it is it is a drastic change, and it took some getting used to. And there are definitely things that I miss about California, but there are also things that I just absolutely love, and I think are really special and unique about Vermont. And um, you know, when faced with any major life decision there are that feels risky. I mean, you're, you're gonna, I think you have to just, you have to take the risk and you have to see how it goes and you have to go in with a positive mindset. And thankfully, um, I think community is such a huge factor in um, how well you can assimilate to a new place. And we were so blessed with the community that um, like really welcomed us to Vermont and I think that's had a huge impact on enjoying living here and feeling rooted in this place.
0: Nailed it. Um, And prior to that trip in April, I think, I want to say you had visited New England seven or eight or nine times and every other time it was perfect. We had come at Virtually every other time of year, besides gnarly spring season, so you'd seen great spring, you'd seen a beautiful summer. We'd gone out to to uh, this amazing spot in Maine. That's a long time place in my family.
1: I think that was strategic on your part.
0: It was it was entirely <laughs> unstrategic. You'd even come out to to winter in Vermont, and we we kind of gone fat biking, and it was bluebird crystal crystal clear sky. That's right. So <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't like I sprung it on her and said, "Hey, here's crappy." New England, deal with it. But, yes, you also nailed it. From the moment we moved into town, my partners Doug and Roger Brown, literally <laughs> that afternoon that we drove into town, came on over, uh, helped us move in. I mean, this is it's a daunting task, and you, you're you moving to a town that you literally know two people, and lo and behold, they came over. Actually, three, because uh, because their mother came over as well.
1: They also had great skepticism that I was going <laughs> to thrive and make it here.
0: <laughs> you nailed it. And, yeah, neighbors on, on all sides have come on down. And we've been welcomed into the community. And, and I mean, there you've, you've just said it. It was sort of the perfect reason to uh, share our, our local community to the greater gravel community, which is why we created Rooted Vermont. So... Give me your professional stance now. What let's let's tell the audience what do you do now professionally? Since moving out to Vermont was was risky in that you you need to have a great deal of independence. I mean, there's not a whole bunch of industry around every corner, so you can't you can't just jump into a job. What is, what does is a day in the life look like today?
1: I think that's what's actually what I think is pretty cool about vermont they call it don't they call it like the gig economy here where work necessarily it isn't necessarily a 9 to 5 at an office but sometimes it's what you build It's your gig <laughs> um so coming from more of a corporate corporate background um sales and marketing in the sports nutrition world so power bar and goo and um the cy- worked in the cycling industry a bit um we had just moved here and I had uh, decided to leave my current job and it was around that time where we were getting a lot of requests and uh, I'd say just inquiries as to whether we were going, you know, everyone's seeing our, our social media in Vermont and we're at the same time experiencing this growth in gravel and we're in a state with more dirt, ra- dirt roads than paved and so naturally everyone's asking when are you going to put on an event, a gravel event. Um, so that seed was planted and it was also just the right time in that we both wanted to do it. I had the capacity and skill set to take the ball and run with it where whereas your capacity was very limited. Um, and we decided to give it a go.
0: So we begin rooted Vermont and I think there's probably some some impression out there that creating a gravel event because it's if you create a road race there's uh, there's there's much more of a checklist series of things that you do and you check 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 with all every ounce of respect to every road race promoter out there um, whereas there's this impression with gravel that it's so cavalier that you just sort of rent a field and then go throw people in the woods and say have a good time tell me about your experience um creating an event and i before i give you the mic i think you and i have we share a type a tendency um (laughs) type a personality and and i think that's something that that has allowed us to, to have success in, in year one already? Just being like, dot the T's or maybe you dot your I's and cross your T's. Like, let's yeah, let's mean, make this event amazing.
1: I would say there are race directors out there who I am very impressed in that they hold down full-time jobs and put on awesome gravel races. So it's not that it can't be done. Um, it's just that I knew if we were going to pursue this, uh, that we would put as much of our time and energy into it to make it as successful as possible because that's kind of our MO. <laughs> and um, I guess, yeah, so uh, I, I mean, I do some work on the side as well. So I have like some consulting work that I do. But for the most part, Rooted was going to take up a large part percentage of my bandwidth
0: mm-hmm. and it is a funny thing because you, you you, we sort of live it every day I mean there's conversation around the dinner table breakfast table um, about particular points that we have email non-stop banter um, together with our other other partner Chris and Motley it's not the kind of thing that you do 9 to 5 it's the kind of thing you do 24 7 and those decisions get made by committee and um yeah, basically the point is like you obsess over, it and and it every little detail does count. So as much as gravel vents are cavalier, they're they're they every detail counts.
1: I think we've also realized how much community matters in in growing an event. Um, every door that has been opened is is because of someone in the community who we've met who has helped us or. Um, you know, brought up a new idea or um, removed a barrier in some way. And I think it just goes to show, I think it's really challenging to put on an authentic, really well-run event um, if you don't actually take part in the community or live in the area. I've just found, at least in Vermont, that that's been really crucial to our success.
0: Fact, Um, and not to make it too... Mm, too too much pulling at the heartstrings, but I mean it is also uh, the partnerships that that g- given the partnerships that I have and that that you have and that we have, that is what has like the sponsorships have gotten behind it in a huge way. They realize that we are sort of uh, pigeonholed into particular decisions, or we can't bring on other partners. So those partners have have come on full full fledged. I mean, it's amazing the support that we've gotten nationwide in that regard. And then especially locally, I mean, it's super cool to have Untapped be the title sponsor for 2020 Rooted. So community, man, it's a thing. All right. Let's shift gears entirely. Today is a Saturday. It's a lovely little Saturday. Tuesday, upcoming, you will be pregnant for 38 weeks at that point. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How about that? It'd be amazing
1: if I wasn't pregnant.
0: Yes. Next that, Tuesday. That's accurate. <laughs> I mean you you could also just as equally likely have a child between now and then. So uh, bring me up to speed. 37 weeks, I think the child is perfectly healthy viable. Is that is that my accurate in that? You're accurate. I largely pay attention to these meetings. It's always <laughs> I go to a lot of the, the appointments.
1: Yeah, you do. You've been very engaged in everything. Thanks. Um yeah, I mean they 37 weeks totally fine. They it's ideal if the baby stays in a week or two longer, but...
0: Keep that bun in the oven. <laughs> uh, first question, what have been the surprises of pregnancy?
1: You know, the biggest surprise is actually the activities that I was able to maintain. Um, I guess I, I thought I would be more limited and... Um, yeah, just I, I was more surprised at what my body was able to continue to do throughout the pregnancy.
0: I mean, you've obviously come in with a enormous foundation of endurance sports and athletics and coordination and everything goes along with that. Uh, how much... Or maybe it's a self-fulfilling question. Like, you wouldn't be as active now if you didn't have a foundation in athletics. The question is going to be, like, how much has your foundation allowed you to continue to do what you do so maybe that's sort of a dead-end question
1: uh (laughs) how i mean to start with yeah it's just it's endurance sports it's so much a part of it's everything like it's i've said it before but it's my community it's my uh release it's my mental health it's my um way to achieve goals and, you know, continue to push and, and grow. It's, it's, it checks so many boxes for me that it's hard to imagine my life without it in some, playing some sort of role in some way, shape or form. And of course there are seasons to life and I'm sure that, uh, it will take different roles throughout the different seasons. But, um, up until this point, it's been a pretty major part of my life and been how I, um it's helped open doors to my career it's helped me to meet my husband so yes it's Ooh. it's been it's been pretty important <clears throat>
0: i mean it's probably something that could be said among any endurance athlete that it's a therapy and it 's a release and it's a it's a input of of endorphins and outpouring of of energy and i mean it's just such a wonderful thing you Going into pregnancy, you were doing a lot of research on how, uh, <clears throat> what the human body is capable of, what you should be doing, what you should be limited by. What have you found? I don't know. What, what did you find in your research, in so many words?
1: I, I guess to summarize it, um, that a lot of the recommendations for pregnancy that, that used to be in place, whether it be a heart rate cap or... Um, you know, just perceptions of limitations are not in fact accurate or have thus since been proven false. So there's no longer a... The doctor no longer gives you a a cap on your heart rate so long as, you know, you don't have any issues in your pregnancy. Um, And really just that it's so individual, like it It matters what you've done in the past, it matters what your your base is, and so um, there's no blanket you can't necessarily just give a blanket recommendation from one person to the next, so there's a lot to assess in looking at what you're capable of and what you can do going you know throughout the pregnancy i think um because I had such a base, and because i had I, you know, to be honest, I've had a pretty easy pregnancy, so I was blessed with that as well. Um, that I was able to pretty much continue on as I was before pregnancy.
0: Truth, um, and and keeping my attention to the pulse of things and what's going on. Um, it's been it's been interesting for me to observe your research and finding out there is very little uh, data-driven research, which you just alluded to in terms of like capping heart rate and stuff. Have you found... Where have been the best places that you've actually found data? Is it purely in the community? Is it finding forums? Is it talking to doctors? Is it reading books? Where have you found any sort of uh, governing factors?
1: Um, well, I would say I sought information and... Opinions and data in all of those places. Um, I really enjoyed exercising through your pregnancy by Doctor James Clapp, which is probably the most he, he he is he is known as the leading researcher um, on exercise during pregnancy, which is something that's challenging to research because you don't want to um, you don't want to be causing any harm to someone who is with child. So it's challenging to structure how exactly to, to safely structure that kind of research. That said, um, his book was incredibly helpful, um, recommended to me by a friend who also was very active during her pregnancy. I, I definitely sought, um, you know, I found a lot of new friendships through social media with athletes who... I have followed and admired and seen um, them go through pregnancy and maintain a certain level of um, endurance exercise or fitness. And just, I, I guess, together with the research that I read and the um, the anecdotal experiences of friends and people I've followed, I kind of came to a, the conclusion of like what I was capable of and what would be... What I could uh, feel what I felt was safe and um, limited my risk, and yet still because exercise is so fulfilling to me, um, I didn't feel like that was being taken away. If that makes sense, there's a balance.
0: You're the one who's pregnant, it makes sense to me because my <laughs> job is just <laughs> to say yes, um, and, and it's also been. Very interesting to me that how much of a beacon you have become in this regard. I mean, with the the article early on a handful of months ago um, in the pro kit, which was very well received, and then just recently uh, you had a, a pretty massive. It was the banner article on Velo News, a and A with you about training through pregnancy. Um, it's the folks like Sonia Looney who is. Become a friend, and she's due, uh, what roughly next week. She's due next next week. Yeah, I think. Hats off to Sonia. Um, I mean, not to always harp on the community, but I think that that speaks volumes to to what you have created and where you are in the the sport and where you are as a (laughs) pregnant lady.
1: Well, she's a great (laughs) example. Um, she has also written a lot of, she's written some great blogs about, um, Exercising while pregnant, and her experience, she has put a lot of information out there that I think a lot of athletes are hungry for, and they are also concerned about this passion of theirs um, being taken away for a significant period of time. And I think the one thing I've said so many times is this is, for, especially for an athlete, a period of so much change. Your body is changing. Um, it's changing in shape, it's changing hormonally and um, you're accepting a new identity that I think to have exercise not be a part of that um, experience is, is challenging because it's so much of, it, it can really add to the mental side of um, accepting and working through all those changes.
0: Fair. Fair. Okay. There's a two part question. The first one is, what are the what are the restrictive things? What are the things you have missed as a result of being pregnant? And then I don't even know how to pose the the opposite question. What has been eye opening? What is the what has been very positive as a result of the pregnancy?
1: Is this strictly in regards to um, athletics, or
0: no? Completely independent of. It's a very broad, overarching question.
1: So, starting with what I've missed. Yeah. What? I miss our happy hours.
0: (laughs) Cheese and happy hour.
1: (laughs) We have this routine of most evenings, and we're hanging out at home around five p.m. Having seven out of seven nights. Having a beer or a glass of wine and our cheese and crackers or charcuterie or whatever, um, that's kind of been a fun, I don't know, ritual.
0: I'd be fascinated to see your uh, your blood analysis from beginning to end. I mean, because we're not doing like the regular, all right, it's 4.30 or, or 5.30 or 5 o'clock or whatever. Like, yes, we still have some sort of aperitivo. We have some sort of cheese and wine minus the wine. The point is we, like, we have a snack, but we're not eating cheese with as much regularity as we used to. And as much as cheese is a wonderful, wonderful thing, to have it every day might raise your cholesterol and having alcohol might not be the most amazing thing.
1: Oh, truly, I'm sure I'm- Like, you're I'm so sure much I'm, healthier right now. I am healthier. <laughs> that said, I did not really give up my soft cheeses, though many people think that you uh, should. The reality is, is that- most soft cheeses in the U.S. are pasteurized and completely fine.
0: Data-driven?
1: Which I learned from Emily Oster's book, Expecting Better. She's an economist. She talks a lot about the data behind these recommendations, such as you shouldn't eat sushi, which is also, at least the conclusion I came to, false. So I've eaten ample sushi during my pregnancy. Yeah. Um, ample
0: to the tune of, we probably had sushi three Meaning, times, yeah,
1: I, I didn't have to... Forego nine months of not eating sushi.
0: Boom. All right. What's the opposite? Uh,
1: So wait, that was one one thing I've missed. Um, Yep. I guess the other something else that I've missed. You know, you can't you can't just go out and crush yourself for hours on end and weekend like that's how we used to. That's how we often spend a lot of our weekends, right? We we go on big. Adventures and big rides, and I miss that. I miss riding with you because there's, I have no prayer of really hanging on anymore. Sometimes
0: we ride the trainer next to each other.
1: Yeah, that's not the same. Oh, (laughs) those are the major misses. And all in all, that's if that's all I have to sacrifice. That's not very much, and I feel really blessed that at the same time i am growing a human who will be our daughter
0: lbj um what's yeah what is the opposite what are what has been eye-opening what has been um you know i don't know how the how to pose the question what is the opposite of something you've missed what what has been a fringe benefit what is or not even a fringe benefit what are the benefits outside of having a child and procreating and
1: Um, I mean, what's brought, continued to bring joy to my life, I guess, is being able to still take part in cycling events. I mean, I've ridden my bike, what, 4,200 miles in the nine months I've been pregnant. So I've... You're nuts. uh, Including
0: winning races, people.
1: (laughs) I, I mean, if that's added a lot to my life, um, it's the fact that I've still been able to take part in our community and that we've been able to partake in activities together and um that I you know I work from home so it's it's also how I get outside and during the day and I meet up with friends it's it's a part of my social life um so yeah I would just say like the fact that I haven't had that taken away and that I have been able to enjoy that throughout these 9 months has helped me immensely Helped me adjust to the growing body and um, all the changes that are happening.
0: You and me both, hon. <laughs> <laughs> you just bear the brunt of them. All right. Uh, where, this is an overarching question. This is independent of pregnancy. Where do you find your motivation? You're a very motivated person. Where does that come from?
1: If you were to ask my mother, I think I was basically born with some sort of... Well, I think it starts off with being kind of strong-willed and um, it's just a part of my DNA. I mean, my mom loves to tell the story of the fact that she had to read the book The Strong-Willed Child uh, as she was raising me because she saw that part of my personality very early on. So I'd say a part of it was I came out of the womb... uh, with being driven, having strong opinions, um, being sure of who I was and where I was going uh, and eager. My mom always says I was very eager to be an adult from the time I was very young. (laughs) So where does it come from? I guess, yeah, part of it is innate. Um, I don't know. You're also very driven. Where do you think it comes from?
0: uh ooh that's a tough one uh yeah I'd probably say well I think it's a combination of innate if there's something that that you just strive for success but then i think my i think my parents set me up in a very positive way with that trait um i mean they I, I they never cracked the whip on me i think they whatever it is like the right rewards the right um, positive feedback cycle that made me want to succeed in most things that I do.
1: I would echo that. My parents were ve- definitely inter- integral in teaching me um, how much... the the teaching me the value of hard work.
0: So it was at our wedding where uh, a pretty great mentor in our lives and especially Laura's life, Laura's boss at Goo... This fellow named Blair Clark, great dude. He's now at Canyon Bicycles. Um, He made a wonderful toast and said, well, Ted, as much as I was Laura's boss, let's be honest, there is no one who is Laura's boss. (laughs) So being her husband is no different. Laura is Laura's boss. (laughs) Um, Nearly penultimate question. What... What are your metrics of success?
1: Hmm. Having not thought through this in advance, what immediately comes to mind is, I guess first and foremost, hopefully it brings some satisfaction in some way, shape or form. So it's maybe the satisfaction that comes through knowing I Tried my hardest and gave it my all, and um, yeah, just worked really hard. Hard
0: work is its own reward. Yes, love it. Okay.
1: Um. Yeah, I, don't, I guess that's. I'm not. I'm not sure what else.
0: I don't either. I mean, I think there's, it's sort of as good as anything in endurance sports and life is. I mean, it's about the process, right? I love the. I love talking to Mike Creed about that. He was a exemplary professional cyclist, but towards the end of his career, he he really embraced the process as much as anything. Like, yeah, you want to go out and have a great race. You want to have some success and you want to end up on a podium if possible, but it's so much more than that. And it's about your input in and what you gain out of it and yada, yada, yada. I would agree. Good work, Mike. Okay, let's wrap up with the traditional three questions which I don't know if you've ever thought of. One, (laughs) let's do it. I'm not even going to ask them in in rapid-fire format. What is your favorite place to ride a bike?
1: It's a tie between Marin County, California and Sonoma County, California. Sonoma County being where we first rode a bike together. um, I think it's one of the most stunning places with world-class riding, but Marin County is pretty much bordering Sonoma County almost, right? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think they do. And similarly stunning, world-class terrain.
0: What is the number one place you would like to ride your bike that you've not yet ridden?
1: Good question. Um, ooh, we want to ride in Japan. Ooh. Well, we want to go to Japan. We want to visit Japan. We haven't yet decided if we'll take our bikes, but At some point, I am very intrigued about riding my bike in Japan. I've heard it's awesome.
0: Konnichiwa to our Japanese listeners. If you know of any bike (laughs) tours coming your way or do you like to host one, that is true. We would love to go to Japan.
1: Well, and we want to eat our way through Japan. So what's the best way to counteract that but ride a lot? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I can only do so many jumping jacks in the course of the day. And living or otherwise, fictitious or non, with whom would you like to go for a bike ride?
1: Okay, I'm going to take you out of the equation because obviously you're my favorite person to ride with.
0: Oh, thanks, hun.
1: <sighs> Um, But you, you aside, who would I want to ride with? Man, I should have thought through this before. I'm going to say our future daughter. Oh. Because hopefully I'll get a chance to enjoy riding with her. Well, in some capacity, not that she needs to enjoy it to the degree that we enjoy it.
0: Well, terrific answer. We will take her on trailers and and those handlebar bike <laughs> seats and I mean it's it's hilarious right now. We're in a in a age of easy communication and thank you all very much for the folks who are sending us recommendations on the hardware that we need to get in order to be able to go out and recreate in the great state of vermont and beyond with bike with ski with with hiking with everything in between with daughter in tow
1: oh man the gear list is kind of overwhelming
0: (laughs) who would have thought well Wrapping up, it is nearly happy hour. We are actually about to go do a uh, beer tasting of sort. I will be drinking for three and <laughs> you will smell the aromas of the hops and barleys and everything that makes these beers wonderful. Um. All right, fair listener. If you appreciated that, I uh, thank you very much for listening and let me know what you think. Let Laura know what you think. Reach out. What's your social media there, my dear? How can they get in touch with you?
1: Instagram, Uh, Laura Cameron King. You can link in the show notes maybe to a couple of those uh, pregnancy articles we talked about if you're interested in reading those.
0: They're already my favorite. (laughs) I read them many times a day.
1: (laughs) That's about it. Uh, Definitely keep apprised of all the exciting news that comes out of www.rootedvermont.com.
0: Boom. Well said. All right. Let's go to happy hour. Thanks very much, my dear.
1: Thanks, babe.
0: Thank you, Laura. My better half. The empathy to my objectivity. She keeps me on my toes in, oh, oh, so many ways. Like no one else on this planet, Laura, I love you and I thank you very much. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to you out there. No better time than right now to give this podcast a rating. Five stars, of course, are welcome. It honestly is not going to take you more than 30 seconds from right now. Hit subscribe. Give this podcast a rating. A huge thanks to all of you who already have. Please keep spreading the word share this podcast with friends with family that's how we're going to grow the king of the ride listening audience community heck you can start today you can start right now do you know someone who is active and pregnant who is considering becoming a parent they are wondering how do they balance that schedule the demand to be active share this podcast share this episode let laura's experience help shed some light That's it from here in Vermont, my friends. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, please enjoy the ride.